What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my fantabulous co-host, Mr. Grant Hughes. We have a mailbag to get to, but just as a reminder, also while we're waiting for people to straggle into this live AMA every Wednesday right now at 2 p.m. or 2.15 Eastern time, about 11.15 Pacific time. We know that's when people are clearly not working and ready to just hop on YouTube or Twitter and, and listen to us talk. Uh, remember to subscribe if you're new around these parts. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, those are the best places to help us. Leave ratings and reviews. Those help us a ton on Apple, especially because we've been getting downvoted a lot lately. I guess our takes are that that bad. I don't know if Grant knows, but he pissed someone off lately because they mentioned Grant Hughes specifically in their one-star review. You're biased. You have an agenda. I don't know what it is. They didn't specify, but you're biased and have an agenda. Uh, don't we all, though? So, ooh, Brent is already here. But, yeah, so follow us on Twitter, the socials. Join our Discord channel, the link to which is in the podcast description. And while we still wait to some more people to come in here, I have two questions. This is the most important one. Grant, how are you doing? And also, what do you make of just the – I already did a podcast on this, but what do you make like the LeBron James injury news and what this kind of means for the Lakers? Uh, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, how are you doing before I talk about the Lakers? My knee is still sore, as we talked about last week, so I am cranky. I've not squatted in almost two weeks. And for anyone who has any inkling of – who I am and what keeps me sane. Uh, I'm not happy. It's very squat centric. Your, your personal happiness revolves around the ability to squat is, is what, how I would phrase it. It does. I don't like it. I can't believe you didn't inform me that turning 34 was going to be like this. Yeah. Um, so I am heated. Yeah. Yeah. At you yeah. specifically, your yeah. agenda and your bias yeah. is now bleeding through to this podcast relationship. My agenda is to fail to prepare you for aging. Uh, that's so <laughs> super successful so far. Uh, I was going to, I wish I just get, if I had like 10 more seconds, I could have thought of a better segue about aging and injury to get to LeBron. Uh, but you guys, you guys will work it out. Uh, yeah. Like what's there to talk about other than he's going to miss two, two weeks minimum. Right. So, uh, and this is like obviously the wrong two weeks to miss because of the juncture of the season that we're at, but it's also, I think they have 21, the Lakers have 21 games left and a dozen of them are against teams in the West that are ahead of them in the standing. So it's like, if you are going to make a run, if you are going to, with this new, you know, player grouping post-trade deadline, do something, this was going to be the time. And now it's just, I don't know what else there is to say other than like, just, I'm not even considering them as a play-in team, right? Are you, do you like, is there something more complicated to say than that? At least for this year, big picture, it's different, but. Yeah. Just because when is D'Lo coming back? He's been out. Anthony Davis is now out versus the Thunder as well i think what helps them is the blazers suck they just suck they have damian lillard and simons is interesting and i like shaden sharp long term and uh i think nasir little probably needs to play more but like they have some they suck the blazers suck the jazz i have been informed multiple sources tell me that the jazz are going to be irate if they make the play-in so i guess and then plus the shea injury in uh uh okc does that help them but like, and then whatever the fuck the Pelicans are doing, they're just taking shits on the court nightly at this point. So I won't rule it out. I might still put them in the play-in, but like if Anthony Davis isn't going to be healthy. And also the thing is, and you mentioned this, LeBron is in a one, he's in a boot, which is just yeah. like, there was a doctor on Twitter. I always forget his name. I apologize. Went through it and said that this is just to preserve it. Make sure that you can heal as quickly as possible and maybe come back. I just, the way it was framed with the Woj reporting and the Chris Haynes reporting he might be done for the year, right. whether they're in the plan or not. That's my impression right now. No, that's mine too, because it's one of those where the wording was such that we're, it wasn't like he'll be back in a couple of weeks or two weeks or, or anything like that. And also the, the word, the wording included like the Lakers fear that he might be blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a reevaluation. An indefinite amount too. It's just like, I just, yeah, it, it's like, and how often does at the reevaluation point, a team say, yeah, tomorrow you're good get in it's always <laughs> it's always more so like minimum two and then i mean probably at least an, but another week or two but then it's just like yeah at, at that point they might be they might have lost five games in a row or six games in a row and it's just there's no reason to bring him back i mean and that's even like yeah i don't know it's just it, i i want to i want to like have a more nuanced take on this but it's just the Lakers lost the guy that gave them a chance to make the plan. And so there's if, not a lot else to say. If you tell me starting Wednesday, which is, or no Thursday, which is when this podcast will go live. It's on YouTube now on Wednesday, but when it goes to our, if, if Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell combine to miss fewer than three games, 
the rest of the way. I'm going to predict the Lakers make the play in. Do you know why? I'm that high on Jared Vanderbilt. Everything, <laughs> everywhere, all at once, Jared Vanderbilt. Uh, Brent Burnett did say in the chat, did you notice that LeBron will be okay at least two weeks and then return tipped off the Jazz to do what? Uh, I don't think LeBron's going to be okay. Um, but it does seem that the Jazz were just like, oh, we're going to pull Jordan Clarkson from the lineup now. Yeah. And they're in, and I didn't mean to turn this into a conversation about the Jazz, but if they want to tank, like, is there a, they could, if they want, like we saw it, they closed with THT. Again, they, first of all, they lost the Spurs. And then you close with THT and all-star Chris Dunn. But like, is there a chance they're just too good still? Because you can't theoretically bench Lowry Markinen just because I haven't gone through my all NBA teams, but I have to imagine that he's technically in the running for the third team all NBA this season. And it would be akin to this way. Anyone who thinks that the thunder are faking the Shea Gilgis Alexander injury slash entry in the health and safety protocols, you're fucking morons because you want, you want Shea to become disenchanted. He's on track for like second team all NBA and you're going to shut him down on purpose. No, it doesn't. That's not how that's going to work. And so I'm just curious whether the jazz, could they still be too good to tank or to just like what they did at the trade deadline? Yeah. We could play Walker Kessler and Larry Markin as much as we want. And we're, we're still going to be able to play our way out of the plan. I think it's, well, this was kind of the discussion point for the jazz basically all year, right? Are they a little too good to, to do what we thought they would do and what sort of made the most sense logically in terms of trying to win the race to the bottom. And they, the answer to that was pretty much always. Yeah. Like they are, they're a little too good to to bottom out and i think that's certainly less true now because i'm with you in the vanderbilt camp like i just think he's a winning player and he's not there conley's gone you know they've 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 jettisoned three guys that would have helped them win games and the problem for me though is like okay so if they they're not going to shut it down per se but if they level off or if they you know start to play more to the level of the talent on the roster right now well, what about New Orleans? Like New Orleans is is a half game as we're recording this behind him. And New Orleans is kind of coming undone and has been for a long time. Uh, the Blazers, you've laid out your opinion on the Blazers. I watched <laughs> them play the Warriors last night and were up 23 on Golden State. And then the Warriors box and won Damian Lillard and flipped it and won easily. So like, I'm not concerned about the Blazers. The Lakers are kind of way down there. The Thunder, I still like a lot, but if SGA is not going to play some amount, then... I don't know. So it's like, yeah, they might be worse, but so is pretty much everybody else beneath them that you would need to jump over them. Um, so maybe I guess the roundabout answer to your question is like, they probably should be able to, you know, get down to where they want to be, except that all these other teams that are in the running for, you know, those outside of the playing spots are also going the wrong way. So I, I don't know. It's going to, it's going to be a weird race for that. Like, how much do you want nine versus 12? Like it's a backwards race almost now. Yeah. I think they're going to get to a point where like Colin Sexton just isn't playing. And we're going to see a lot of like more of Simone Fontecchio has been playing since the trade deadline, basically like a lot more minutes. We've already seen more of Akbaji for a while, but he's actually not been bad. So that'll be my sort of, I, I guess maybe we should, we should in theory, because it seems like the Blazers are going for it, despite what they did against the Warriors. Yeah. We probably should just assume that they're the team that gets that because I, I think the Pelicans get in just because they're too talented not to, even without Zion, Minnesota, Dallas, the Clippers, like those teams should get in golden state too, fifth in the West right now. So it just seems like between the jazz Pelicans, Blazers, Lakers, and thunder, you have to pick two of those teams. And with the Shea injury, I'm not prepared to pick the thunder. I think it's probably the Pelicans and the blazers. If the jazz are actively tanking and it does seem like they are. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I guess, I mean, Portland, Portland certainly wants it the most. Um, just because of all the we're building Their trade deadline activity deadline. implies otherwise, but yes, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. But so, but I don't know how much want to matters. It's just, it's a, it's a personnel question. Like they just, their defense still sucks. It's terrible. And now the blue, not that it should have been a surprise, like Simons didn't play against golden state. So that was a big deal. Cause you probably can't box in one Lillard and get away with it with another, you know, higher end shot creator in the backcourt. But anytime it's just Dame and the, and the rest of that team, if you don't box and won them, I just don't know what you're doing as a defense because nobody, I mean, nobody proved they could do anything with the ball. And it's not like the, the Warriors are like 20th on defense. It's not like, you know, it's not like they have Wiggins didn't play. Gary Payton wasn't out there. Draymond didn't have a great game and they still just, the, the faucet was just shut off. So I don't know, man, it's the, the bottom of the West is like weirdly sad right now. It, <laughs> it, I'm not enjoying it. Did you want to dive into this mailbag now? 
Yeah, sure. I'll start off here with, uh, I, I have to ask this one because it would be weird if you uh, did. So this is from definitely not Dan Favalli 69. Uh, do players deserve to be criticized for load management? Everyone seems to, uh, to direct their ire at player salaries when to me it's clear they're not the one making the rest night decisions. Who's to blame for this load management bullshit? Teams, right? Is, it, is, is this very astute observation by our listener wrong? I mean, I saw, and I, th- what prompted this is, I think it was Charles Barkley, was, Barkley said, like, oh, you're making 40, 30, 40, $50 million a year. You should be able to play in every game. In theory, okay, sure. If we had players going to their teams and saying, yeah, I'm only going to play in 60 games this year. But I don't get the impression that players are behind. Like, let's use Kawhi. As an example, right. the earlier he's the outlier. He's the he's the one whose history suggests like maybe there is some self serving element, but that I'll 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 talk about the Spurs thing in a minute. But go ahead. Uh, no, that's just I don't think that players have like this innate desire to not play. Right. I think a lot most of them I would assume ninety nine percent of the players in the NBA just love basketball, and so they want to play. And that it's teams that have decided. I'm sure because they have studies or just with all the personnel that they have that are in charge of. Um, you know, the player vitals and medicals that they have these experts making those decisions and that there are also teams where maybe it's also just front offices. Like the, the end game is not the regular season. It's we're trying to stay fresh for the playoffs. And maybe there's not enough evidence to say like, oh, if player X appears in 62 games instead of 82, they'll be fresher. But you might just inherently, we're afraid they're going to get injured. It's like, we're going to rest them during the regular season to try and make sure that they're fresh. It can't hurt, Right. And there's a conversation to be had about load management, especially when now like betting is legal and you have some of these last minute scratches. It's a whole thing. And also how can fans constantly buy tickets in advance? I just, I don't believe that the players are even, I would argue teams have to be like 95% at minimum responsible for load management issues. Yeah. I think coming at it from a different angle, I think it has to be, just there has to be a very minimal amount of blame on the players just because it's so much easier for me to imagine a guy really wanting to play when he shouldn't and the team telling him no than the opposite which is the team saying you're good and him saying i'm not going to play because of how that makes him look how with with his teammates how that affects the chemistry like all that type of stuff you know and i, I don't know if i could if i could co-sign the the level, the the percentage of players that love basketball in the NBA, you do hear sometimes like there's a decent number of guys that are just like tall and good athletes that just aren't into it. And, but, but it's still, it's a vanishingly small number. I just think it, it, those guys exist, but we're not really talking about those guys. We're talking about the stars that, you know, are missing however many games, but it's a really thorny issue just because like, I don't think we have a handle on, or I don't think there's a consensus on how much more strenuous modern NBA basketball is on the body than it used to be. And so it's kind of like when guys that played 30 years ago say, you got to just lace them up and go, you to even get, to even turn that into a conversation that's not just about, I are, we were tougher than you are. You need to get over the hurdle of getting old heads and, and people that are, you know, of the mind that players are soft, you have to get them to understand that like, yeah, it's just different now. It's harder guys. The athletes are better. The the game is faster. There's more, there's way more ground to cover. Like it's just way more taxing and strenuous. And the data seemingly bears that out that all these teams have proprietary, you know, this guy's at the X percent increased risk of injury based on the load he's handled in practice and games. Like that's such a hard sell for a lot of, you know, fans, critics, whatever, that just want to say, well, this guy's not hurt. He should play like full stop, which like, I guess as a fan and a ticket buyer, that's not an unreasonable position to have, but it just sort of ignores all the information that we have. And, and ultimately the problem is we're not sure yet, like what to do with all that information. I think pretty clearly because injuries are up, you know, you see that all the time. So it doesn't necessarily follow that this load management stuff is all bullshit. I think it just means that maybe the game is even is more strenuous to a greater degree than even we could acknowledge. I don't know. So <laughs> circling all the way back, it's just teams protecting investments. It's not just, we care about the playoffs. It's also, we signed a guy for hundreds of millions of dollars for like four or five years. 
So we're not going to rush him out there on a Tuesday night when we have two, you know, 2027 to think about like that. I think that's a big factor too. Uh, Brent is still going off in the chat about the jazz. I'm just, I'm just, I'm dying at this jazz players want contracts. So they're going for wins, but why pull your key players that are scoring to put in non-scores? Where is silver time for fines? Right. Congress <laughs> over this BS. Uh, unbiased Pistons fan. The Spurs won a basketball game that they did. The jazz are tanking. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. There's your proof. Uh, What's pop in Maine? How about them Kings? Do you have any strong thoughts on the, are the Kings being sort of just overlooked in the, like play, we've already asked this question and we both said, no, is it time to rethink it? Can the Kings win a playoff series? I, so I did a little bit of research the other day and this has been a stat that's been out there. I kind of circle back to it every so often. Uh, so their offense is awesome. Number one uh, in efficiency, at least through last night when I was looking, their defense is still bad. But if you look at like the types of shots they allow, I think their location-based opponent effective field goal percentage, which is a lot of words to just say like other teams should shoot this well against them, is top 10. So they're permitting shots that if the opponent would just make them at rates you would expect, they'd be a top 10-ish defense or at least, you know, average. So that gives me a little bit of pause in just writing them off as, well, in the playoffs, you know, that they're not going to score as easily and they definitely can't stop anybody. All that said, like, who are you picking them to beat in a seven game series that they might realistically face? Like, I mean, I guess the Clippers, cause they have beaten them. Um, I, I just, I, I, I don't know. Dallas, maybe I could, I could see them beating Dallas if it shook out that way. Just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they can win a playoff series. I also don't think that makes this season a failure. I think this is like the most wildly successful King season in 20 years or whatever. Go back to the Vladi Divots, Chris Weber teams. That's about as, this is about as good as it's been since then. Also the Kings are the best in the league at keeping opponents out of transition. So I feel like they're better than a bottom seven or bottom five defense. And if you look at just like, you know, there's definitely, when you look at, they're allowing almost 70% shooting at the rim. And like, that's a real thing. I think Sabonis has probably been better during, certain like stretches as a, a rim protector than people might credit, but that's a big thing for them. I, opponents are hitting 38% of their above the break threes. There has to be some level of luck caked into there. I think what it comes down to for me is just like, and you look at some of their top end units and like, they're about league average defensively. And I, I, their bench is just so turbulent for me. There's also the De'Aaron Fox wrist injury right now, which we have to keep an eye on, but his progression is just like a mid range score. Uh, they've just been a joy to watch this year. So I I don't think they can win a playoff series now. And I do think the path forward is still a little murky where it's like, well, how do we improve? I think they need to make a trade to sort of level up their ball containment or just their overall defense on Mm. on the perimeter specifically. Maybe even want a backup rim protector at this point, but like there's a real base here for them. Uh, Let's get to this question from real syrup, 2219. Grant, what are your thoughts on the report that, the NBA may look at implementing a target score for overtime instead of a traditional five minute period. Yeah, I think, I don't know how much of a problem the five minute overtime period really is such that you'd need to sort of change it. Um, Obviously if you do the target score, you're getting a game winner no matter what. So that's fun. Like that's a, that's a real positive and it would prevent you from having multiple overtimes, I guess. Um, So I guess that's also cool. Although like, multiple overtime games get kind of fun because they get so ragged and scattered and the, you get like what two or three crunch times instead of just, just one in a regular 48 minute game. I'd be okay with that. I also think if you just cut overtime down to like three minutes, uh, I've seen this suggested that's, that's, I would like that too, only because five minutes is a long time. You're like, you're basically playing crunch time all over again. And theoretically both teams are just gassed after the end of the fourth quarter. So Um, I think the quality of play might be better if there was just a three minute sprint or like a two minute sprint instead of a full five more minutes. Um, But I'd be okay with the target score that I I don't have a strong feeling about it. Um, Cause sort of my view is that if the game goes to overtime, there's not like a lot of predictive value for either team anyway, cause it was just super close and you know, it doesn't, it matters who wins for the standings, but in terms of like looking at the full season and how good team X is versus team Y, it might as well just be a tie as far as like how I would normally evaluate it. I'd probably be against it. Just if you want to shorten the overtime period, that's fine. I just, the target score, like that could end up being a slog too. If teams aren't really like, what if teams are just shooting really poorly and they're gassed then as well. So 
I'm not a big fan of like the all-star game, like having the Elam ending is fine with me, but to create a target score, uh, like, you know, I just, I don't know. There's yeah. just like, I'd, I'd rather see like, what is it better to just go like possession by possession at that point? Or like the NFL, like you get one possession <laughs> and the other team can mash it. And like, let's just do, <laughs> let's just make it sudden death. Like yeah. that basically the jump ball really matters all of a sudden. If we go, <laughs> yeah, um, that's one possession first team to score. It's kind of a solution for a problem that doesn't really exist in my opinion. Um, let's get to this next one here. This is from unbiased Pistons fan. Uh, which finals contender would be most improved if they were given Wimbanyama for next season. And then uh, the season after, I guess if, if the answer is different, I'm not sure I get it, but like who needs Wimbanyama the most, I guess would be, would be the among question. title contenders. Yeah. Among title contenders or final uh, contender. Not that that's that different. Or who would he, I guess, which title contender would he instantly improve the most? So I'm going to go, I'm going to say the nuggets. Just could you imagine him, his development sort of being streamlined around Nikola Jokic's vision? <laughs> That yeah, would just if you want to make of... life easy on him, that's the way to do it. Right. Uh, this next one is Wemby-related as well. Do you have an opinion on what which contender he'd improve? The team most? that jumped out is Memphis just because of the half-court scoring stuff. Like, I, I That would imply he... Memphis is a contender, which... That is, you know what? You're right. They're not... When neither of us, I don't think, view them as, as finals contenders. So, invalid answer by me. The correct answer is, is Denver by you. Okay, let's hit the next one. Uh, this one comes from Mike Spencer. Had this pop in my head and blah 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 maybe it's a quote not blah blah blah. sorry maybe it's a question for future prop but is there a team you don't want to see land Wemby or scoot personally i don't want to see the hornets or rockets land them the hornets would basically have fallen ass backwards into one of them but the rockets simply suck and neither kid deserves that <laughs> <laughs> uh those are the teams to me uh, right like i i because your alternatives are san antonio i think it's the spurs are not i think we've gone long enough giving the spurs credit for the dynastic run that they had over the better part of 20 years and it's just like they're not they're not that anymore uh but they're also not the rockets or hornets um and the pistons i guess you know that i'm fine with that i don't think the pistons have like uh kind of deserve feels like a weird word to use because you're talking about teams that are just all really bad and so i guess they all sort of equally deserve a chance to get this guy but like houston's just the you know, the words mess and circus get thrown out a lot. I think Zach Lowe and Jonathan Gaboni both were talking about how everyone associated with that team. Just, it's like, it's just chaos and there's no adults in the room and it's, it's a real mess. So like, I don't want Wimbanyama developing there. And then Charlotte. Yeah. They, they just, it's a team that doesn't spend. It's a team that seems to care really strongly about being seventh or eighth in a conference. And like, I just, I don't feel like those types of teams should be rewarded for being bad. I don't know. The Brent saying, uh, forget Victor scoot, the better choice. I just, I disagree. I Can we get a hot or not on that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm saying, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, so I'm, I'm with you. I think I don't mind seeing either of them on the Hornets just because like the Hornets aren't going to do that that shit where they bring them along too slowly like they have with some of their younger bigs. And Mark Williams is playing now anyway. Like since Christmas, he's just been in the lineup. Now he's starting without Mason Plumley. Uh, well, that might be a good segue. But like, I like the idea of Scoot playing next to Lamelo, and then just like Victor's going to fit anywhere and play anywhere. I want to see them nowhere near the Rockets yeah. just because, like, you have. Do we trust them if they get Scoot? Do we trust them to get rid of KPJ? And if you have Victor Wembanyama. This is a team that's underutilized. Alperin Shangun also has Jabari Smith Jr. How do you sort of deal with that glut? Where, yeah, Victor can probably play the three, but like are Jabari Smith, Victor, and Alperin Shangun, like it's just weird. And I don't trust the Rockets. Like you said, the Jonathan Gavoni and Zach Lowe talking about how it's just this circus. We have John Wall absolutely ethered them on that podcast. And some of it, he he rewrote a lot of history for himself. Sure like did. Some of it had to be, have like there had to be an iota of truth there. So it's the Rockets for me. I just, I don't trust them at this point. They seem incoherent with what they're doing. And I think everyone's responsible from the players of the front office to mm -hmm. Steven Silas too, just not maybe implementing the, the right principles. So uh, I would love to see, is there a team you want to see like them on if it's different? I'll go first here since I threw it at you. I really want to see Victor Wembanyama on the Spurs. I just feel like, not that there's a blank canvas there, but they need that, like, they have Devin Vassell injured right now. They have Keldon Johnson. I'm really high on Jeremy Sowen. But, like, they need that sort of pole star. Mm -hmm. And I almost, like, is this too, like, I almost kind of want to see Scoot in Charlotte because I feel like he just works. 
really well in Charlotte. I don't want to see him in Detroit. Orlando would make a ton of sense if they can fall far enough. So I wouldn't mind seeing him in Orlando there. Uh, like I said, have him stay the hell away from Houston. But like, you know, would be the, this is my real spicy pick. If there's like not a bottom four, bottom five team that's going to win the lottery, the Pacers with either one of these guys. Sure. Incredible. Yeah, I my my team all along, and it made a lot more sense back when there was less distance between them and the bottom four was Orlando, just because I know they would never do it. But we we talk all the time, and I'm lower on it than you are. But the Orlando backcourt, I just think, is just not up up to the standard it needs to be to make good on the three four five on that team being so awesome. So like theoretically, this was back when Bull Bull was more of a thing too. I just love the idea of. Yeah, Bancaro and Franz Wagner are your playmakers. You have Wendell Carter Jr. in the middle, and then Bull Bull and Wimbanyama just make it so you have everybody on the floor is 6'10 or whatever, whatever Wagner is. And you just, I don't know how you stop anybody, but no one scores at the rim, and it's just super fun. And this is this is like if you if you took the Raptors plan of the last couple of years and just added like three inches in height to it at every position, that's what it would look like. Uh that would be fun. But Orlando's too good. They're not, it's, it's out of the question. So yeah, I don't know. I guess Detroit's got a, a million centers. Oh, this is another, before we get to Mark Williams, cause we just botched a total obvious segue to get there. Do you think Wimbanyama is going to play center? Like ultimately? No, no I mean, maybe not, right? depending on the team at some point, but I do think it might depend on like him filling out his frame or at least proving that he's like a Kevin Durant level of durability. Yeah. And I don't think he needs to put on a ton of weight. There was that ESPN piece. I think that they've gone about it really wisely where it's like you can't just all of a sudden change the the body archetype of these guys like because it changes their whole like aerodynamic structure and what what makes them so good so he's already said he hates playing center i think that's just look he's like a teenager and positions are so fluid now but i don't think i view more as like a four or a three but like yeah could i see down the line certain teams like the with the the usage that kevin durant might see as a small ball center or has seen with a small center. Yeah, I could see something like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I guess if the position you play is defined by the position you guard, then he's a center because you have to have him around the rim to because he's going to be so great at it. But offensively, like, I don't even know. You could tell me he's a shooting guard at some point, you know, five years from now. It's, it's all on the table. We do um, have this question. Mark- I was going to say this question from James before we get to Mark Williams. What do you think about the Jazz trading Lowry Markinen? Where would be a good landing spot? So this offseason, if you were the Jazz, and you're really interested in re- look. I know he's like semi young, but he's going to have a new contract coming up soon. Like, do you think about trading Larry Market? I already have my favorite destination for him if they did trade him. But I sure as hell don't trade him. I mean, what? Yeah, like, I'm probably with you. I guess I don't know how you would do this, but if he occupied the suddenly Kevin Love as a starter at power forward in Miami spot, I think that would make a lot of sense to give that team some three point shooting and some shot creation and and I mean some youth too. So I, I, I could, I would like him there. Um, but I just like, can't fathom a, 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 the jazz trading him. Not after this year, Jimmy took my answer. It's I want to see him on the Pacers. Imagine a miles. You want to see everybody on the Pacers. Okay. It's because that's how good the Pacers are. That's how good Terry's Halberton is. Do you want to take us to the Mark Williams question? Yeah, this is, that we've teased. This is a, yeah. Cause you know what, you know what people really want to get to is the Mark Williams question. And it's a good question. It's from Rome 8180. And uh, the question is, Talk about Mark Williams. That is my question. So, Dan, talk to us about Mark Williams. Uh, I think he's going to be pretty good. Where there was this a sentiment that, oh, the Hornets fucked up because they didn't take Jalen Duran. And I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think he's played well enough to show that. He's played basically since Christmas, played a lot more, starting now without Plumlee. I've been very impressed. When you look at defense, he just looks like a rookie on defense. His, his rim protection numbers were okay. Once he had to play against more starters, though, like we saw those come down, he can really get attacked and targeted in the pick and roll. He's a rookie, like big man. Like there's a learning curve there defensively. I've been really impressed with his offense. He's scoring at an above average clip out of the pick and roll now, shooting above 71% inside five feet. And I think there's there was this, I didn't necessarily believe it, but there was this talk and there kind of has still been some of this talk like, oh, he could kind of branch out his offensive game and they're not implementing it necessarily in games, but like you can kind of see it. He's shot like nine of 16 or whatever it is on hook shots this year. He's hit like some floaters. He's hit some like little turnarounds. He's taken some shots that are in the paint outside the restricted area. And I think he's at like 47% on in the paint, non-restricted areas, area twos. And that's not a super great number, but it's just like 
oh, there might be, and you kind of look at the free throw shooting, there might actually be just more range to what this guy could do. I'm interested to see like what his decision-making would look like if you put him on the ball more. He's actually fared better on the the sparing number of post-ups that I went back and watched from him as well. And so there's just like, no, I don't think we're talking about an offensive hub here, but when you're looking at, when we talk about bigs, and I think a Rudy Gobert and a Clint Capella fall into this, you want someone who's more Jared Allen and can have layers to his decision-making. And I could see, I don't really think they're comparable as players, but like Mark Williams might have those dimensions to his offensive game, which I think is super intriguing. So I'm going to make a clumsy like analogy from real life experience that, so I am helping coach uh, both of my kids basketball teams right now. And so this is kindergarten and this is third grade. And what I've learned so far is it's way better to have a kid that is super aggressive and is trying to make something happen all the time and then try to rein that in it's way better to have that than the kid who's actually talented, but is just like timid and not competitive and doesn't want to mix it up. Like, and I don't want to make the comparison of Mark Williams as a child, but he is like much closer to my kid's age than he is to mine. But his profile, he's enormous. One, he like on an NBA court, he stands out as that guy's big, which is like a rare thing. And he's super active. Like, and my criticism of him at this point in his career, and he's a rookie, so this is normal, is he's too active. Like he goes for blocks a little too much. He get, he just wants to make the highlight play. He wants to show that he's giving max effort. Like So that actually kind of maybe hurts his team on balance, but I would way rather have that because like this is a guy, he's top 10% among bigs in steal and block rate. So he's just like doing shit. He's making things happen. I think that's related to opponents are shooting their effective field goal percentage and like his on off splits for defensive rating are ridiculous. Like they're hugely positive. The problem is that's almost all based on opponents just missing a bunch of threes and jump shots uh, when he's in the game. So it's like that data doesn't tell me much. And in fact, because uh, he goes for blocks a lot, opponents get a bunch of offensive rebounds when he's in the game, which is pretty classic. It's a pretty classic, like Hassan Whiteside, you know, hunting blocks like big man thing but all that said like just the physical tools and the energy level for me are he's going to be in the league for a long time and i don't know what the offense looks like down the road i mean what you said you know augers well like it suggests there's something there but just from size intensity athleticism you know energy all that stuff i think that's already at like a 10 it's just a question of how can you reel some of that in and how can you like smooth the edges a little bit? So I guess I'd agree that it, it got panned, you know, cause Oh, it could have had Durin, could have had Durin. Like, I don't know. It's so early. Their in the draft process. night mode of operations was still pretty like fucking stupid. But... It was, but I don't think Mark Williams is going to be, I think Mark Williams is going to be a good center for like as good as his, his type of center can be. Cause he's not going to be shooting threes and he's not going to switch a lot. I don't think, but I think he's going to be a good center for a while. Alan Durin or Mark Williams. I'd probably still take Durin. <laughs> take Durin. <laughs> uh, so would I. I think I'm with you there. But the fact that it's kind of like a question now, I think mm-hmm. it's, it, like you said, augurs well for Charlotte. I like to say auger. That's a good word. Uh, let's. So this is the headlining question. So thank you, Carrigan, for it. And we didn't tease it at all, except in the title. Which, if any, uh, team that's currently out of the playoffs has the best odds to be a Cinderella story and win the title? Out of the playoffs, so are we talking not even in the play-in mix, like 11 I would say outside the top six, or I would even say, like, I'll reframe it. Let's say outside the top, we could use John Hollinger's definition to say outside the top three. Um, outside the top five, I'll even give you, because the West is so fucked up. It's just like, yeah, you're either, you're either fourth, like, you could be fourth or in the play-in, it's the same fucking difference. Right. Well, okay, so if it's outside the top six, so seven, seven or lower, it's an easy one for me, because the Heat right now are seventh in the East. Um, and or I think they are, I think I have, yeah, I got these updated through, uh, Tuesday night's games and like, I don't think the heat can win the championship, but if you're saying, well, it's them or Atlanta or like Dallas or Minnesota, the heat just have all the, you know, party line, party lines that we give the heat, heat culture. They play hard. They're well coached. They have Jimmy Butler, which in playoff series just always fucking matters. He's just <laughs> He's Jimmy Butler is liable to be the best player on the floor in literally any series he plays. It doesn't matter who is on the other team. He's proved that whether it's in the finals or in a conference finals, 
if you have Jimmy Butler, like you're going to get at least a couple games where he just, you win because you have him. And so that kind of lowers the degree of difficulty of a Cinderella run. Um, if you make it, you know, outside the top three, then there's, I don't know, a handful of teams. I'd throw it to you on that one, but the heat would be my pick if it's outside of the top six. Yeah. If I went outside the top six, uh, spoiler alert, it is no longer the Pelicans for me. I just don't think I've cut. If you had to pick right now, is Zion Williamson playing again this season? No, I don't think so. Um, And that's just like, so no and void. And by the time he gets back, it's, well, what type of ramp up does he need? And what do they look like at that point? Their offense has been wildly inspiring without him. Uh, I think some people and Brent kind of mentioned it. Well, I think he's talking about getting Clarkson fringe, but like the Lakers, if they were healthy, maybe I think it's the Raptors. Is that stupid? I know the efficiency still hasn't been like great for Van Fleet. And he's been like, I think relative to his standards, disappointing this season, but he just looks when you watch the makeup of their offense, the way he's acting on the ball. Now that he has an actual like screening and rolling big, mm-hmm. it really just, I think changes the complexion of their team in a way that what I have given up, what I did for him. What was interesting is I didn't know this because I'm just not a draft guy, but Gavoni saying that he would trade his 2024 first round pick because the draft class is so bad. That's what the Raptors did. Yeah. And so like, if you can look at it th- that way to get Jakob Pertle that you have to pay this summer, I think it really could be the Raptors. And I don't think that they've been necessarily some sort of sleeping giant since the trade deadline. There's just all sorts of things that are still wrong with their team. And just like they kind of flirted with letting the bulls hang around on Tuesday night. And it looked like maybe they would lose at some point, but look, since the trade deadline, this team is almost 10th in defense and the offense is 20th. And that's there just, there's, there's room for improvement there. When you look at the level of talent they have, like maybe OG Ananobi not turning the ball over or looking like a deer on ice when he's, you know, having to use his handles. Maybe don't have OG Ananobi handle the ball at all. So there's still some depth questions there, but if they're healthy, the top end of their rotation, mm-hmm. just like in the playoffs, I wouldn't want to face them. And this is me specifically saying outside the top six, if we were to go outside the top, like, can we go outside the top four? I'm going to lob. I think the easy ones, is it like, I guess it's golden state in the yeah. West. Is it a yeah. chance that it's the Knicks over the heat in the East? If we're going outside the top four, maybe, I mean, then you got to talk about, do we need to talk about the Clippers too? I just, I still haven't seen it, you know, from them, but they're in the mix as well. I think if, cause they're sixth right now, although like, I love how we're talking about these standings, like they won't be completely upside down in like three days, be just because everything's so bunched in both, especially in the West. But yeah, I think the Knicks, I mean, nine and two in February, like with some good wins for the Knicks. So, I mean, they don't have like a, it's going to be really hard for them to have the best player in the, in a series, generally speaking. And like as reductive as I get about playoff basketball, sometimes that actually matters to me. Um, but yeah, like that offense is really good. Uh, I think it's going to play in the postseason. Um, yeah. I, I think it's funny that these are all really mostly East teams. And it's also interesting that we did not even, I didn't think about Dallas at seven or anybody well, below them. It's, in the West. it's not them. I mean, their defense yeah. is just like, it's bad. A turnstile. Yeah. Like, it's rough. It's, it's pretty bad. We have this question from uh, Ian, which is very interesting and sign of sign of things from Portland. Uh, which team in the league would pay Jeremy Grant 30 million bucks besides the Blazers? I'm genuinely curious what you and Grant think of what other teams might think of him. I will say, I don't, I don't know if he gets even 30 million from them. Maybe he does get 30 million from the Blazers, but could you see a team coming over the top and outbidding them for Jeremy Grant? And if so, who? I don't think, <sighs> I think this has kind of been a bad year for him, even though statistically he's been really good and certainly was just phenomenal to start the year. I think like maybe this is revealing that like the best version of Jeremy Grant was actually like the Denver one or the Oklahoma city one uh, versus the, versus the later stages as he's developed into more of a a scoring player. Um, 30 is a lot for someone that like, He's so I would you agree that he's this I don't know how you feel about Simons, but is he the se- he's the second best player on the Blazers, right? Like yeah, I mean Simons is just so limited defensively. I mean it'd be nice if uh Jeremy Grant could grab a fucking rebound, but and I just, so I mean, he's even Jeremy Grant's like getting a since the trade line, he's been getting a foul line. So just yeah. I, I I think he's their second best player. Yeah. I think so too. And so he's the second best player on a team that is three games under five hundred right now. <laughs> and you're gonna say I would love to give a guy $30 million a year. I mean, the money's weird because the cap's going to go up and 30 is going to seem like 20, you know, uh, fairly soon. But 
I just don't know that I'd be confident. I don't feel like he's, he can't be your second best guy. And I think if you're making 30 that you're, you're in that conversation. Uh, maybe if he's your third or fourth guy, you're, you got something, but third or fourth guy should not be making 30. So I don't know. Uh, let's leave that out. Uh, so I think your team, I think could justify paying him as much as the Blazers or would be interesting to pay him as much as the Blazers. No, I don't. <laughs> the, the thunder. Okay. Can you imagine him and Chet as your front court? I know like, I think Grant Williams or PJ Washington will probably be cheaper and might in some ways be a better fit, but defensively Jeremy Grant's like, I think probably the better, but he's been, he's not shooting the three ball well at the moment as we record this, but like, he's probably the more, not Grant Williams. He's more, he's a more accomplished three point shooter than PJ Washington. I would say that would be an interest, not one that I've necessarily thought about. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm trying to think where else he would make sense. Like, what about, I, I was going to say Sacramento, but he, I don't know how, because just because theoretically you get the defense that you're not really getting from Barnes and Murray at the forward spots. But, and, and like, if you just swapped him in for Barnes, who's a free agent, then maybe that's an upgrade. Um, but I don't know if it's enough of an upgrade to justify having to beat the Blazers, who are pretty pot committed on Grant, I think, too, uh, to, to get him. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like the Thunder, though. The teams with the cap space to just get Grant outright would be Utah, which I don't think that they're going to be, let's go spend on someone who's uh, older. The Spurs, the same for them. The Magic and the Thunder. And then the, the Clippers aren't going to have cap space. They could. The pay, I guess the Pacers would be interesting. Would that be a team that you would like them on? That's, like, that's really the only win-now team that is slated to have cap space and will actually, I think, act like they're having cap space. You can get into some sign-in trade. Yeah. scenarios where if teams are like far enough under the hard cap that they could try and make a play for him. I mean, he would make a lot of sense on the Clippers, but they can never get under the hard cap Memphis. He would make a lot of sense in Memphis more than OG and OB, but not as much as Mikael Bridges. Yeah. If you just put him in the Dylan Brooks role, he's a, he's a different position a little bit, but I mean uh, that, that I don't hate that. Uh, but although if you're Memphis and maybe this is a, this is one big to segue into, I think you probably want to be dreaming a little bigger for your next upgrade than Grant if you can. But so this is from, from burner account. Uh, who is a Grizz fan. What do you think it will take for Zach Kleiman to flip some assets for a bigger star? It seems like the grow your own model can only take us so far. I mean, he should have done it already. And that I think that this playoffs is going, I've been Grizzlies fans might get mad at me for this, but you should really appreciate me saying this because every time I'm down on the Grizzlies, they prove me wrong for the past <laughs> three years. But yeah. I think this is going to be the postseason That's a wake up call. There is, I'm trying to think, what is the first round matchup? What is the team that you would just expect them to steamroll in the first round of the playoffs that they could like, is it Dallas, the Clippers, the Timberwolves? Is it, I guess maybe the Timberwolves just because I wouldn't trust the Timberwolves as their offense is, is dog shit. But yeah. like, I think this postseason is going to be the wake up call where maybe they escape the first round, but they're just going to get lampooned in the second round. And you're going to have to look at, okay, be like, it's really cool that we think that Santi Aldama can become something and, Zaire Williams, the injury to start the season really fucked him because I was high on him, but just mm -hmm. like now you don't have the, the runway to develop him. You have these picks. I get maybe not wanting to make a huge move mid season, but like it's time. Like you paid John Morant, you paid Jared Jackson Jr. That contract's going to be a steal, but like you're going to have to pay Desmond Bain soon. You're running out of time to have the flexibility that you do. And you have these three players who are all, all I would argue Desmond Bain is absolutely all-star caliber. Mm -hmm. And so you have these three players who are all-star caliber make the move yeah. now. And so I think this is the summer that nudges the Grizzlies to do it. And I'm not saying it's, yeah, I, let's see what the star market looks like. They should be in on a star if they become available, but if it's not like, you know, I don't even know trying to like, you're not going to, when you have Desmond Bain and jaw, I don't really think you need to go after a Zach Levine, a Bradley Beal. You want someone no. who can play the three or the four instead. So it's like Mikhail Bridges, like that level, Jeremy Grant, that level of player. I think they will do that this summer. If they do not, I feel like people's jobs have to start being on the line because you can't trust internal development that just isn't, maybe you haven't peaked with like your, like Desmond Bain, no one saw this coming, but like, it's very clear at this point that, okay, Zaire Williams is not going to be your Jeremy Grant or OG Ananobi or Mikel Bridges of the future. Yeah. I, I think it's, they're in a weird spot because you have, there's a sort of this, like, I think of them a little bit like say the Celtics a few years ago, where it's like, we have smart, we have Brown, we have Tatum, we're, we've got this young core and let's, you know, let's build it up, let's develop it. And it's like everybody, 
when you're thinking about that type of team, that team doesn't just like wait, it goes out and it goes, I mean, it messes up sometimes because it goes for Kyrie Irving or whatever, but you know, it goes and gets Al Horford or it goes and gets these other veterans, you know, Derek White doesn't quite qualify, but even teams with these young cores like Memphis has that you say, let's just let it, let's let it happen organically. We have these picks. Let's Zaire Williams is going to pan out, but teams in that position always go get that other guy or two. And it's usually veterans. And it's oftentimes guys that aren't even like we talk about timelines that aren't even in the timeline with the young core. It's just, you got to get a couple of those guys that are older that, you know, just that just give you what you need now, because there's no like guarantee that Williams is ever going to become anything like, I think he's a swing. I thought he was like an X factor guy for Memphis this year because of what he might've been able to do at a position they needed, but like, and maybe that'll happen next year, but maybe it won't. So how long are you going to wait when you have a young core that's like really good, really good right now. And is going to get better, but you need this idea that you just kind of wait and let it happen. um, Doesn't it just, that's just, that's not how it works. That's never how it works. There's no, I mean, unless you're talking about like the, early 2010s thunder, right? Where it's just like, yeah, they really did just have a bunch of young guys that eventually reached the finals. Um, but I'm sure even then it's like, there were, there had to have been veterans on there, like Tabo Cephalosha and Nick Collison or whatever. Like you have to go get those guys. You can't keep waiting. Would you feel differently at one? I think something that's overlooked here is what are they waiting on now? Yeah. Because it's, unless you think Zaire Williams is that play, it's not going to be Aldama. It's not going to be Roddy. Like you, you, like even if you think those guys are solid rotation players, like they're not the player that you actually need. And unbiased Pistons fan just brought this up is the question I was going to ask you. How would you feel if they're just trying to bide their time until the next mega acquisition potentially becomes available? I might understand it a little bit better because there's what has been the player that's been moved that they absolutely needed to be in on. Like everyone wanted them to get OG and an OB. I thought that was a bad fit to begin with. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're telling me, though, you passed on the... Let's say they could have gotten Mikael Bridges from Brooklyn after the Phoenix trade. If you passed on that because you're waiting on Jalen Brown to become available, I'm not about that. But if you're yeah. sitting here, I would respect it more where it's, no, like, we're waiting for Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram. We think things are going to go south there. If you're waiting for that level of player, because, like, they shouldn't they shouldn't have been the team that went after Gobert or Murray or Donovan mm-hmm. Mitchell. Kyle Kuzma didn't get traded. The Wizards didn't want to trade him. And so it's just like there wasn't a player yet that, I guess Jeremy Grant and he traded the Blazers over the offseason. That didn't really cost them much. So you could make that case. But there hasn't been a ton of players who've been moved where it's like, well, what the fuck, Memphis? Yeah, where were you on that one? There's not yeah. a lot of that. There's not a lot of that. That's true. I mean, that excuses them a little bit. But like you said, you know, this needs to be the offseason, probably. But it may, it, again, like maybe it is the case that there just isn't going to be that guy. I mean, the Jalen Brown situation is like the Celtics – he's not going to sign an extension. So he's going to get to free agency at some point, but I mean, Memphis is really positioned to be more of a trade partner than someone that's going to sign like a superstar, right. Just because of all the, you know, they have their picks and uh, it's just a free agent and like all things being equal. I don't know how many free agents are choosing Memphis, like as exciting as, as that team is the, the market is, just, is what it is. Choose Memphis. I would say choose Memphis if you're a free agent. This will be our last question. And I know you put thought into this. It was hard <laughs> for me. Glad. Who do you think the, top five coaches are in terms of X's and O's and who do you think are the top five coaches in terms of development? Also, where does uh, leadership fall in this? Yeah. I mean, we have to start this with the typical coaching caveat of like, we don't know 95% of what goes into coaching an NBA basketball team. We just see what's on the floor and we see player development and there's enormous player development staffs that probably deserve more credit for guys getting better than the head coach who just has other more macro issues to deal with. But all that said, and and this is a, you know, I'm curious to see how much we diverge on this, but so I'm going to go with my X's and O's guys first, I think, cause that's a little bit easier. Um, cause most of these guys are, have been around for a while and just like have track records. So I think Eric Spolstra has to be thrown in for X's and O's like the heat just always defend. They always, you know, play, they, they, they always throw in more zone. They always seem to figure stuff out in playoff series, you know, all that kind of stuff. Spolstra is just like established. If he's not a top like three or four coach overall, I don't know like what you you're watching. Um, I think Steve Kerr is pretty good X's and O's like the Warriors play a difficult system and he really did, you know, you do have like the before and after of how they played with Mark Jackson and how they played with the same personnel when Kerr took over. And it was just like, a world of difference 
Um, Kerr's ATOs are awesome. Like they almost always get good shots for shooters that the defense should know is going to get a shot and they somehow manufacture it. Um, I do think Quinn Snyder's there. Um, this is where like freshly <laughs> not eligible. Yeah, I'm glad he got in there because I was struggling for fifth, but like, I think it's fair to criticize the lack of playoff adjustments. I don't know how you separate that from just like what kind of offense the team runs. Like even Mike Budenholzer might deserve X's and O's, even though like he just gets killed for not adjusting and playing one way. But like if you play one way and it works really well for a long time, I think that's favorable to you as opposed to like a detriment. Teron Lou, I think everybody talks about his adjustments. Like nobody adjusts better than him. So that counts as X's and O's for me. Not, then, kind of just, it's not so much lately though, right? Like yeah. the falling in love with Marcus Morris. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like the, I guess that organization kind of saddled him with Westbrook, but yeah, I, I like mostly agree with you, but th- this season has been weird. It has been, well, it's been a weird season for the Clippers period. Like you're Fair. trying to, I, I don't know, but I think his reputation is pretty solid in that regard. I think his name comes up first a lot in, in playoff series adjustments specifically, which is, you know, like the highest level of X's and O's stuff. Cause you're figuring stuff out, you know, without knowing the answers to the test beforehand. Cause you're just getting shit thrown at you. And the last one is, I don't know what to do with this. So if you'd ask this question, like three years ago, Nick nurse might've been like number one in X's and O's and he might be out of a job. So I have Nick nurse question mark. And then to counteract that, I have Rick Carlisle question mark because I, it does seem like, his teams and the Pacers are a case for this, like figure out what works for them. And they do that. Like the Pacers play really fast and this is a Carlisle team. The Mavericks played slow as shit. And that was a Carlisle team. And it's just because the personnel was different. And I think he's really good at maybe one of the hardest things is being malleable as like a strategic coach or, you you know, changing your tactics, tactics to suit the personnel. That's a big thing. And I think he's should be regarded as one of the better coaches at that. So you, all the names you had were on my definitive list. Um, the three that I absolutely had in there were Quinn Snyder, Alex Belostra, and uh, my God, who's the third one I'm missing? What were your coaches again? I got Kerr, Lou, Nurse, oh, and Carlisle. Yeah, I had Kerr as an ad. I think Kerr's kind of become underrated. Brent does not think so, really. And then I had all those other guys mentioned trying to figure out random. I didn't know what to do with Lou this season. Yeah. I think otherwise he would have just been in there for me. The two I wanted to mention, I don't think I have him here yet, Will Hardy has been mm-hmm. really good this year for Utah. It's just tough with a rookie, but I think he's been really creative with a lot of his lineups and the way that the offense is run. Mm-hmm. And the one that, so the name that I actually had in my top five that you did not, I've marked Dagnall of mm-hmm. OKC. I think a lot of the, and this is people with a higher level of understanding of the game, like, but like the schematically what OKC can do on defense has always really impressed me. And they're like the willingness to sort of futz and fiddle with your lineups and your usage outside of Shea on offense has been something that I think mm-hmm. has just gone not overlooked, but it's just something that I appreciate about like, you can't, I can't predict. I don't even know if people who watch every single thunder game can predict their rotation. Like on a game to game basis. And I'm not talking about just availability. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. he's going to deploy players. And so I kind of appreciate that fluidity. And I would have had, I echo what you said about Nick nurse. It's like some of the stuff he does seems like super creative, but he's, he's kind of shown that he doesn't like can't adjust from there. Mm-hmm. Almost. It's, their defense hasn't materially changed this year from last season. And that's been a problem for them. I mean, they're, they're playing really well now and maybe it's different that Pirtle's there as a rim protector. Uh, but I think Dagnall's like a guy that I, in, in terms of strategy, X's and O's game management, I think he might be top five for me. I don't know if that's wild though. I, I think for nurse, he's an interesting case because like his X's and O's stuff might be just as good as it ever was, but where it seems like he's failing based on a lot of the reporting coming out is that like, he's kind of a weird dude and, he's just it's not a it's not a tactical failure it's the guys are just kind of like i'm sick of this like i'm not like he's not connecting like that and then this that goes right back to like we have no idea what is happening in most locker rooms so so i think if he gets bumped out of this it might not actually have anything to do with x's and o's but i think we both really hesitated to throw him in there what Um, is demos cole asked what is quinn snyder's playing style after all and i think this would be born from we saw like a lot less ball and body movement later on in that jazz era, I think that just spoke a lot to, okay, like you brought in Bogdanovich, the way that Donovan Mitchell progressed. I still view him as a coach that is going to have that shit ton of ball and body movement relative to others. And I'm, I'm very, I actually higher on the fit with Trey young than a lot of other people are, Mm. because the assumption is Trey young can't play differently or Quinn might cater too much sort of, I don't even think he catered towards the end of Utah. It was just like you 
you kind of reached your, like with Rudy Gobert as your center, I don't know that you were able to play as much creatively, offensively, maybe you would have liked to. And in Atlanta, when you have a Kung Wu, when you have Jalen Johnson, when you have John Collins as alternatives to Clint Capella at center, I think we might be able to see more creativity there. And I also just think like Donovan Mitchell, to me, to me, was used more creatively on offense than Trey Young has ever been. Oh, yeah. Whether that's a Trey Young or coaching issue, we're about to find out. And so like, I think that's why. Also, we didn't mention Greg Popovich. I don't know if that matters here, but he has to be. Like, I don't know what to do with him anymore. It's like, how do you judge what the Spurs he, he, he might be. This is the second phase of the question. Do you have anything to add on the Snyder stuff, though? Before just, the... just I think of his offensive style as like the to- the the term that was kind of coined was advantage basketball. And really one of the main tenets of that is just like you get the ball to players that are already on the move when they receive it. And it just, that was a hallmark of like the really good Utah jazz offense is that the guy had, the guy with the ball had an advantage immediately against the defender because the defender is either chasing him or standing still. And he's, and the offensive player is moving. It's really basic, but like it's hard to get guys to play that way. And the last thing on Snyder is looking at how, Gobert has cratered the Wolves offense this season and he was a different guy a few years ago it's kind of amazing that the Jazz had a lot of number one offenses and top three offenses with him in the middle like that's I think that looks more impressive in hindsight seeing Gobert somewhere else now the second phase of this question is what are your top five in terms of your development and then also I think this ties into that and how much do you factor in coaching leadership to that development aspect of it yeah, this is the way harder th- than the other side of the question. So just looking at development, I think you get into like how much better players get or like how motivated they are and how much you can tie that to the coach. So this is way fuzzier. It's way harder to discuss. But I actually had Dagnall here um, because there the for me Thunder too, if anybody cares. Are su- What's that? He's there for me too, if anybody cares. Oh, you got him in both. Look at you. Uh, I, I just think the Thunder are super young and they play really hard and everybody seems to like him and like guys in season have gotten way better. Like Giddy has improved this year and Jalen Williams has both Jalen Williamses have improved this year. Um, and so that's just a, it's a heavy lift. It would be really easy for that situation to go badly. I just think Dagnall just has like the ear of that team and has them playing the right way. Um, I think Mike Brown belongs here um, because everybody loves that guy. And that's like, you know, you don't want to be the substitute teacher that everyone loves you because you let everyone get away with everything. But I think the style that he's brought, the way he's kind of gotten the most out of Fox, the way he's gotten Kevin Herter in a handoff game that like he just didn't really play ever before. Um, he's gotten, he's letting Malik Monk, like just do Malik Monk stuff <laughs> off the bench. He's, you know, I think a lot of development is just figuring out what, the best version of a player is and letting him be that not trying to like force him into something. I think Taylor Jenkins, uh, I don't have as much to say, but you know, the Grizzlies are a young team and he's kind of stewarded them to this point. I have Popovich here. Um, uh, so I don't know what else to explain. And then I have Monty Williams, even though the, the Deandre Ayton stuff is, is iffy, but like Booker has improved under him. Uh, Mikhail Bridges has improved a lot and he trusted Bridges to play a way different role and like kind of stretch the bounds of his game uh, towards the end of his tenure in Phoenix, Cam Johnson got better. So this one's way harder, but all those guys I think can be credited with, you know, having the ear of the players, helping them improve and kind of not like forcing, not imposing their developmental plan on guys. They're just sort of being a little more flexible. And I had, so everyone else that you mentioned was on my list here. And the two that I also had on there, um, just to like, I'm not sure where I would put them exactly. I also wondered if we undervalue Mike Bunholzer in X's and O's, looking at how the Bucks know, changed their, uh, Mike Bunholzer, excuse me, changed their defense. Uh, I have Jamal Mosley in Orlando just because I like, like just what I've seen. Wendell Carter Jr. has been up and down this season, but what they've done with him since he got there, Paolo Bancaro, of course, Franz Wagner. And then um, who's the other one? Where's the, I lost the document that I was staring at. That might just be, oh no, yeah, I think you covered everybody else. I might have had Chris Finch on here last year, but this season I think he he sort of fell off there. Yeah. So um, I'm with you definitely though. Mike Brown, um, I said I had Dagnote there too. And then I, Taylor Jenkins probably belongs there as well. And yeah, I think that might be that might be sort of it for me. I thought I had another name listed, but apparently I do not. I'm sure uh, we're overlooking somebody and it's like a huge uh, oversight, but. Oh, you said Monty Williams. I, I, for some reason, I had Monty Williams as like the discrepancy there. So yeah, I think the the only one to just 
Jamal Mosley was the only one that you did not say that I had on mine. Is it weird that we don't have any of the coaches of we did, unless you count Budenholzer, we don't have any coach from the top six teams in the East <laughs> that's in either category. I was gonna did I was, I was about to ask you about a West coach. Did we undersell like Michael Malone as a leader and that, player developer when you look at like right? how MPJ has come along? Uh, like what they did with Jamal Murray and Jokic themselves. Like that might be someone that we just need to vault up the ranks there. Malone is hard for me to judge because Jokic just means your offense is going to be awesome no matter what. So it's like, well, I don't know what his X's and O's input is on the offense. And so I, I don't know what to do with him there. And then it's the kind of the same when you have like a transcendent MVP level player, I feel weirdly like the coach just matters less because it's that player that kind of organizes the team maybe we give Kerr too much credit because he just got Steph Curry as he became a an MVP player. Like, I don't know. Do you want to take us out? Yeah, let's take us out. Uh, everybody, thank you for uh, submitting your questions, for joining us here on, on the live. Uh, make sure that if you are not already, that you have subscribed and followed and, and uh, made sure to know about our personal whereabouts at all times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rate, review, subscribe. Uh, do everything you can to tell your friends and people you don't like about this podcast and uh, make sure that you are uh, checking in with us on YouTube and everywhere else. We're going to do a BR live stream again on Thursday. I don't know if this will be out by the time that happens, but we've got a couple more that we'll keep you posted on. Uh, and yeah, thanks again. And as always, we will shout out the one and only Frank Nilakina and also apologize to Jared. Allen.